a lot of it is because of our understanding of government. When you're growing up, at least I did, what civic education was for me was, hey, here's the Constitution. Here's the three branches of the federal government. Here's the roles and, you know, and what they do. It was never, let's talk about city council or how that works. And so when people don't have the understanding of how their local government works, they don't know their power in being able to get it to do what the public wants. And so that's that's part of the reason why all the processes that we have are very much about participation and openness because the more informed people get, the more comfortable they get in, in actually working with their local government, the, the more power they can affect. And I think that's ultimately what we want. From this to this. This is Livable City, a regular podcast guiding us on a journey to more human places. I'm your host, Jim Hodap. I'm excited you're here to learn, to listen, and to lead. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Livable City. I've got a really fun episode for you today. I have a special co-host with me, Annie Metz, who is a local Chicagoan, and also she has her own podcast called The Housewarming Podcast, which you definitely want to check out. I asked Annie to co-host with me today because she introduced me to the idea of a project going on in the Andersonville neighborhood of Chicago, the Catalpa Street Project, where they're thinking about converting it into a pedestrian plaza with a one-way street through it. But, you know, basically what it is right now is surrounded by big box shopping store parking lots. And apparently there's been some problems of some fast-moving traffic that goes through this small stretch of road that connects two major streets in Chicago. So especially now in the time of the need for social distancing with with COVID-19. This kind of project is amazing, is exactly what we need more of, particularly in the United States, but North America and really every city could always use more pedestrian space to make it a lot more livable. So Annie will help me dive into this topic today with the guest. And let me introduce the main guest, which is the alderman. Alderman being the name that we use here in Chicago for what typically in other cities is called a council person or a councilman. And so my guest is Andre Vasquez, who is the alderman, like I said, of the 40th Ward of Chicago. So if you live in a city roughly the size of Chicago, which is around 3 million people at the moment or smaller, I think this is going to be a really applicable episode to you. Annie and I talk with Andre about how a project like this came about, who came up with the idea, how did it happen, who's advocating for it, How do you weigh the different uh, um, voices of constituents, some who are for it, some who are against it, a lot of the nuts and bolts of it? And Andre is really transparent about how this all works, so it's really fascinating. We also talk through some of the limitations of a democratic-type system like the U.S. has and certainly like Chicago inherits, and how this can make it very challenging to have a coherent kind of plan around how do you pedestrianize things? How do you make things more walkable? How do you make your city more livable? How do you have a unified vision? So we talked through the limitations of that and Andre is really transparent about it. So I think you're really going to enjoy that part of this conversation. But before we get into the conversation, I just want to remind you, take a moment first off and help Local City out by rating us. Go to iTunes, go to Google, go to Spotify, rate us there. It helps a ton more than you'll ever know. Next, consider becoming a member of Liberal City. Right now, there are three different tiers, and I'm currently working on revamping them a little bit since they've gotten a little bit out of date. 
but consider becoming a member and financially sponsoring Liberal City. So I currently pay for this podcast completely out of my pocket, and it's really, really strong, really helpful when listeners participate in supporting the podcast and especially supporting me financially so that I can keep doing this more and more. So becoming a member, becoming a paid member would be very much appreciated. So if you're interested in that, just go to livablecity.co slash membership. Lastly, I just want to make a plug again for the Liberal City Facebook group. So this is where we as a community come together and have a conversation and help support each other in our advocacy efforts. So if that sounds really interesting to you and something where you've got some local projects that you're working on advocating for to make your city, your neighborhood more livable, then consider joining this group, asking your questions and getting connected to some amazing people, which are an increasingly international bunch. So come join us. Just search Facebook for the Liberal City Facebook group by the title Liberal City and you'll find us. I'll make sure to put a link, as I always do, in the show notes. And lastly, before we get to the main conversation, I just want to tell you about a really exciting first-time event that I'm doing here with Liberal City. It's the first time I'm going to do a live event over Zoom, and it's going to be with two very exciting guests, one of which I've had on before, Doug Gordon of the War on Cars podcast, and the other is Jennifer Keysmat, who was a mayoral candidate for the city of Toronto and former chief planner for the city, as well as uh, an urban planner who has her own design and urban planning group. This event is going to be held on June 5th at 2 p.m. Eastern time, and I'll be sending out links where you can RSVP soon. So watch Twitter, Facebook, and the mailing list for more updates on this. This is going to be your chance to ask these two amazing people some of your questions. The two topics that we're going to cover, that we're going to focus on for this event are going to be around the immediate need for more space in our overcrowded city streets that are typically devoted to cars right now. There's not enough space for safe social distancing, so that'll be the first topic. Second one we'll focus on will be, what are city streets going to look like in between and post-COVID-19? So I'll open it up for questions both before the event leading up to it, as well as during the event. So like I said, stay tuned for more info. It's going to be really exciting, and you're not going to want to miss this one. I hope you really enjoy this one. Please leave me some feedback in the Facebook group or email me or find me on Twitter. I'd love to hear what you think about this one and if it's truly helpful. So without further ado, I give you Annie, my co-host, and Andre, my main guest. Hi, everyone. I've got an extra special guest for you today. Uh, But before I introduce who my main guest is, I just want to introduce you to Annie Metz, who's co-host of the Housewarming podcast and my co-host for today's Liberal City episode, Annie Welcome, and tell us a little bit about your podcast and what else you're doing. Hi, I'm Annie Metz. I am the co-host of Housewarming, a podcast about climate policy and solutions in Chicago and Illinois statewide. Um, currently, we are, I'm quarantined with a four-year-old, so <laughs> not doing much professionally right now. Um, but yeah, <laughs> usually I do freelance writing projects for small businesses and then host my podcast. Oh, excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. This is I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. So, Annie, do you want to do the honors in introducing and welcoming our main guest and why we're speaking with him today? Yeah, we're here today with the older person of the 40th Ward on Chicago's north side, Andre Vasquez. And we're going to be talking with Andre today about the um, new Catalpa Streetscape project that's happening in Andersonville. 
and the outlook for that street. Yes, welcome, Andre. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for having me. So can we start by just um, what is an alderman? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> in other places, they refer to as city council members. Um, so, so it is like the first level of government. The way I kind of, of describe it when I'm talking to neighbors is if you were to walk into a store and something goes wrong, you want to speak to the manager, that's kind of what the job is. Like anything that could go wrong citywide or anything you need help with, um, we're kind of the first point of contact. So Alder is, I believe it's Old English for older. Uh, and then, you know, ah. yep. Andy and I were trying to figure that out before you joined. So yeah, I've actually been. We actually uh, worked on or are trying to work on legislation to change the name, so it'd be city council member, or councilor, as opposed to like something that's a little bit ageist slash gendered. So yeah, yeah. I'd before that. It's uh, people get confused when I say that who aren't from Chicago and like yeah, basically same thing as council person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, so glad to so glad to have you. Thank you for joining us, Andre. Yeah, no, I, I look forward to this. It's my pleasure. So, why don't we start with a little bit of an overview of the Catalpa Streetscape Project? Um, what's on the table, and what are your goals and priorities, and why this particular block? Sure. Yeah. So, um, this is something that that uh, Alderman Harry Osterman in the Forty Eighth Ward kind of was already kind of working towards. So, uh, if you look at the intersection of Clark and Catalpa. Um, there's not a lot there. It's Catalpa is actually one of the widest, if not the widest street in the city. Uh, it's actually like double the width of a regular street because it used to be a trolley um, avenue or street. So one, it's large. So there's a lot of opportunity to do things there. And when you think of Andersonville, it kind of stops south of that. So being able to, to focus on that intersection and create something there helps to kind of lengthen Andersonville and work towards connecting it with Edgewater. Um, so yeah, there's there's a, a lot of opportunity. So so the Alderman Osterman had kind of talked to me about it. There was some funding there. And, and the conversation was about what kind of public space could you create there? Um, I always think about things where you can have events, where you can kind of create programming around, because I think that's what brings people together and creates an attraction. So uh, we started really meeting with some of the local businesses and the chamber to kind of see what their interest was because a lot of the businesses there do need a little bit more traffic. And I think uh, creating that kind of space would help. Of course, there's always concerns that if you have like a place where people can have a market that it might take away from businesses. So right now we're just been in the process of really um, talking to the Chicago Department of Transportation as to what could go there, what it could look like, and asking neighbors for their feedback as we move forward. That sounds like a really great project. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'd be really cool if we had something there. Andre, can you tell us what the block currently looks like and what you're envisioning for this project? Oh, yeah, totally. So if you were to look at that intersection, it's like it's really wide. It's in between a Walgreens parking lot and a Jewel Osco parking lot. So it just looks like a lot of space. And then you've got... Um, paid parking there, but nobody ever uses it, right? Um, and I think it's, if I get it correct, it's a one-way um, going west. So And it's it's between yeah. Clark and Ashland, correct? So it's just a very yeah. short block in That's between right. two major roads. Yeah, so it's, it's, like, it's almost like a perfect spot to kind of create a space. So um, also the two parking lots are really big. So like the jewel parking lot is never full 
and the Walgreens parking lot's also never full. So it's this vacuum of space. And then if you look across the street to the east of Clark, there used to be a 7-Eleven there, but it's just an empty building. So it kind of speaks to really the lack of traffic there and the lack of support. Um, so to me, it's like it's like a blank canvas that can be worked on. Yeah, that's great. Who who originally visioned this project? You know, you, know, you mentioned the other alderman, but was it him specifically, or was it uh, somebody in the community that first you know had the idea? So I I don't know if my predecessor was a part of it, but I know Alderman Osterman was because apparently when we started having meetings again about it, there were already mock-ups from like a year before. Um, there was a neighbor who had put together like a, a rendering that looked almost like a mini Navy pier, which I don't think would be the thing we could do in that area. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was something I believe, I know he had a hand in earlier, but I'm not sure who else may have been. Has this project received broad support from your constituents? Are people excited about this? Uh, I mean, I think people see the opportunity. However, the, you know, whenever you do anything that's a change from what's already there, there's concerns. So uh, one concern is that people did not want to see the street completely blocked. So I think what the conversation has been is narrowing it so it's only one lane of traffic that could then be um, closed off with ba- uh, bollards, right? Uh, so I think that's that's kind of the direction we're going in. The second thing was, um, which I think this actually helps out with, is Catalpa typically is where people race to go west, and sometimes they go too fast on intersections. So the narrowing actually can help in that aspect as well. Can you talk a little bit more about why people are concerned about closing the street completely? I mean, there I spend a lot of time in Andersonville, and there are dozens of streets that run between Clark and Ashland, which are already very close in the ward, right? Oh, so yeah. I'm curious why... They can't, they're worried about it being closed completely if they could just go north or south to another street very easily. Sure. So I think I think what occurs, and I like this is, it's kind of like human behavior, right? Like people are so used to a certain convenience that if you were to even change one strip, and to your point, it's like from Clark to Ashland, that's how small we're talking, that even that little, small change, uh, certain po- folks look at it as being too disruptive to the way they normally travel. Um, like to your point, someone could actually just drive through the Jewel Osco parking lot to get to the other side and it wouldn't be a problem. Um, so I really do think it's just more people that are concerned with any change in general. But that's why we want to include people to hear their feedback and let them know, hey, we're still going to have one lane of traffic there. It's not going to be completely blocked off because we want to make sure that we at least address it from every angle. Do you see this project as maybe being somewhat incremental or or progressively done. So, you know, maybe like that first compromise is to keep that one lane of traffic, right? To still say like, yeah, you can still go from, you know, this side of the street to the other, the way you're used to today, just a little bit more slowly. Um, And maybe like second phase down the road might be get rid of it, right? Once people are like, hey, this is a a great public space, right? Why do cars even need to go through here? Well, I I think that's the hard part, right? Because when you're when you're working on a project like this, you're you're allocating the funding to kind of get it done. So you almost want to completely do, you know, the whole project in that span. I think it would be challenging to then ask to close the street. But I think what it may do is it may set us up to be able to do something similar on Catalpa between Western and Lincoln. Right. So because Catalpa has the same kind of dynamics, you might be able to go further. I do think um 
I think in the moment we're in, there is definitely a conversation to be had about more pedestrianization, period. Um, so it's, it's always worth discussing. Um, yeah, no, it's something uh, clearly that I was thinking, have been yeah. thinking through <laughs> this coronavirus, right? Like, there are many streets in Chicago where the sidewalk width is woefully inadequate mm-hmm. to maintain social distancing, you know, safe social distancing. And so, you know, this project, I think, could be an amazing leader in that setting setting an example for what could be well and that's that's you know we had talked in our office about doing it on lincoln almost from like lawrence to peterson because that's a strip that doesn't get it isn't heavily populated if you were to kind of stop it you might be able to create a lot of space for social distancing to walk um so i had reached out to cdot to to talk about it as well as active trans uh, alliance about it um the issue is there's there's concerns about when you block off a street, it creates the attraction, which would not be the case if you had a whole network across the city, right? If you actually did what other cities have done as far as creating just a, a network of open streets, then you're fine. If you're only doing one street in a ward, that's where the concern is. And so um, what I'm hoping becomes part of the conversation, because I know the, the mayors talked about like the steps towards reopening, uh, it would be challenging for me to be in support of something without thinking about like an open network or creating other ways to have social distancing going on. Yeah. So Andre, what, what is the role of constituents in shaping a project like this? So you've clearly heard from some folks in the neighborhood who are concerned about, Hey, I can't drive through there then. Um, Have you heard from other constituents about, I really want a, a nice safe plaza. I want some space to be out with my kid in my, neighborhood, Andersonville, uh, you know, and what, what's their role in shaping your opinion and ultimately what matters? Yeah, totally. So, it, it, you know, it's interesting because every ward does it differently, right? Like there, there are wards where there would be no community input and someone just kind of says, here's what we're going to do, right? Um, part of what I ran on in, in running for this office was to make sure that we had a process that was, that was accessible transparent and accountable. So when we talk about a community, a zoning process or any any um, development of this sort, I, I I think you you get a much better product at the end when you bring everybody in on the front end because you're going to hear all the objections that people have. You'll be able to overcome some, but ultimately because you've given them the respect of including them, you end up getting way more buy-in as you kind of move forward in the process. So uh, as far as this particular one, I think overwhelmingly it's been supportive. Even when there are concerns, they're more like asterisks onto like, hey, thumbs up. However, what about this? Um, so the way we move forward is first we talk to the businesses in the chambers to get their support. Then we had uh, like kind of a, a, like a super soft announcement of like, hey, this is something we're thinking about doing. Uh, once we had that, we had a community meeting where CDOT actually created a survey that would let people pick and choose, like, what do you want the style of it to look like? What kind of space? What kind of activities would you like to see occur um, that really helps shape the direction of where we're going? So I, I think um, once we get you know, a rendering that we can show people and say, hey, here's the general idea, that would be the next step of, like, let's get your feedback on that. So it, at, at there are multiple steps in the process and all of them for me, I want to make sure we're including neighbors because the reality of it is uh, it, 
it's a lot harder for people say, to say that they don't like something or they weren't in on it if literally you're talking through every step of the process, right? Um, but I think I think people in general are supportive. I think I'm interested to see what the temperature is for people now that we're in this moment that we're in, because that might they might be more receptive, or I don't know. Right. So that's something that's, to think about. It's kind of a reframing of mm-hmm. it, and, and even what it's for. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, if if during the process of feedback, so you've got the say, you, you know, you're to the point where you have a rendering out um, based on initial feedback. And you're having public meetings where you're showing it off, and you're doing Q and A around it. You know, say, say the vast majority of the people that show up are maybe very pro car. I would say, like, sure, you know, yeah. accessibility to the car instead of biking or just being able to play with your kids out there in like a plaza type thing. Mm-hmm. How help help our listeners understand how that would inform uh, how you think about it. Because I think that that's really interesting, right? And and yeah. I don't think your your average person understands how how that get, how that all gets weighed. Absolutely. So I, what we do, and this will be probably one of the, the bigger projects so far that we've had. But for like zoning changes or anything else, what we do is we have the community meeting. We then give people two weeks. So we take all their feedback at that meeting, which at that time was in person. Um, but then we also would have online, we'd put up all the specs, the renderings, and people could submit their comments to our website for two weeks. Then uh, my staff puts together the spreadsheet of all the responses. I sit, I look through all of it, um, and then ultimately it helps in my decision-making process. It doesn't automatically say that if there are more people in support than less, that we'll just put a halt to it. But those do affect my judgment in saying it. So let's say to your point, you've had uh, or you had more people who said, you know, we don't want to close it at all. It needs to be a drive through area. Right. That's actually kind of what the feedback had been a little bit, which is why we narrowed it to the one street street. So so even though we wanted to create something there because of the feedback, we figured that was like the compromise as opposed to saying, like, we're just not going to do anything. Um, but, you know, yeah, that- I think I think. What works best for us is that we cast the widest net possible to get as much feedback on it. Right. I was going to say, because, you know, I've been to some public meetings where, you know, a neighborhood group, I used to live in Indianapolis, right? And some things that uh, happen there, right? It's pretty easy for a neighborhood that, or, or a subsection of a neighborhood, if they're against something, to kind of like stack who shows up. Yeah. Yes. And, it, and then it sounds disproportionately like, against emotion or for emotion or you know so like that how do, how does that how does that weigh out how do you cast that wide net well i, th- I think that's why we do the two-week period and do a lot of online for folks who can't yep. physically be there um because that's very much how it plays out right people know that if they bring the numbers they can kind of sway things in one direction to the other so what we do is we cast that wide net and once we make a decision we actually talk about how many people responded how many were in support, how many were not in support, what the critiques were. Because sometimes people may not be against the project, but they'll be against a perception of what the project is or something else. So by being able to read that, we can answer those questions, right? Some people, um, yeah, like it, it, in this example, people were like, you're going to close it up completely. We're not going to be able to drive there. And so we would look and say, we understand that's concerned, but here's here's what we actually are doing. So 
yes, I understand what you're saying. And also, what we're moving forward with does not completely impede what you want to have done there. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, I'm curious if you're only getting feedback from people in your own ward or if you're hearing from people in Alderman Osterman's ward as well or from other wards because, you know, Andersonville is a neighborhood that attracts people from the surrounding area. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I filled out that survey with all the like pictures and questions about it, but I don't live in your ward, but I frequently am in Andersonville. So I'm just curious how other input is received by your office. Yeah, so for, for, like, for this project, because it is on the border as well, right? Typically, I look at like a radius around where the development's going to be. Um, if it's something where it crosses another ward or another area, that's why we tend to do it together with that alder person at that point. Um, but you know, ultimately, all these lines are arbitrary, right? They're imaginary lines of, of what what exists where. So for me, it's more important that the people that are closest in the area, especially the ones that live around the area who are most affected by it, are the ones that kind of weigh in. So, yeah, I don't, I'm pretty sure for this particular survey, it's a little more wide because of what we're talking about and the area. Yeah, that makes sense. And then one, one last question I have around this is, um, what do you, do you have a vision? Does the city have a vision of not only just this project, but say like, we're trying to increase more walking, more cycling, less driving. And does it, does some some vision like that factor into, you know, the how you filter feedback? So, I wish I could say that there was this larger vision, right? I think there's like um, there are departments that clearly have visions and there's Vision 2020 and like you know things about how you want to get to where you need to go, but it, I don't think it's it's I think it's very incremental, and I think there's opportunities to move it forward. And I think especially the example that, that really hits now is because of the pandemic, when you're literally seeing other cities move in a direction, right? I mean, you've got cities across the world, like the Barcelona blocks, right? Where people have like, I mean, it looks amazing. Um, it does. But we haven't gotten to that point. And so that's, it's a little, it's a little disappointing that considering the moment we're in, we couldn't have taken that step. Uh, it's like I said, it's something we were interested in doing. But you've got to do it at a larger scale for people to, like, get it, Um, especially when, you know, 20 to 30 years from now, that might be the direction we're all going in anyway, as far as using a lot less cars. So why not be proactive? Um, But we haven't. I know the commissioner, the new commissioner, CDOT, does think in that way. Um, I just haven't seen that much from the administration. That makes sense. And that's been that's kind of been my interpretation, observation so far as well. So. Yeah, thanks for being honest about that. That's really interesting, and I, I know it will be to listeners as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think that's the one thing, prior to me being in this role, right, it, it's somewhat opaque as far as how this stuff moves. So I've always been committed to being as straight up about the process so people have an understanding and can help make sure their voices are heard or apply pressure where they need to to move things. Yeah, one thing that I keep thinking about, and um, you know, I'm kind of entrepreneurial, in my mindset too. And I want, I want more participation in shaping our cities around the world, right? From your average person, we're so used to uh, owning and shaping parts of our own lives, except that which is immediately around us, which affects us so much. And I'm, I keep thinking that's, that's crazy. Like you should be able to uh, 
change that a lot more instead of such a such a heavy top down. Yeah, and I, I think um, a lot of it is because of our understanding of government, right? Like when you when you're growing up, at least I did. Um, what 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 civic education was for me was hey, here's the Constitution, here's the three branches of the federal government, here's the roles, and you know, and what they do. It was never let's talk about city council or how that works. And so when people don't have the understanding of how their local government works, they don't know their power in being able to get it to do what the public wants. And so that's that's part of the reason why all the processes that we have are very much about participation and openness because the more informed people get, the more comfortable they get in, in actually working with their local government, the, the more power they can affect. And I think that's ultimately what you want. Totally agree, yeah. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we get people there? Do you think? How do you think? How do you tend to think about that? I mean, you know, for me, it. I don't feel unique. I'm unique because I'm in this position now. But six years ago, I could not tell you what an alder alder does. I I'd have no idea. And and I grew up born and raised in this city, so I think when you think about how you turn it around, it, 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 here's what's challenging about any government. Right. It's how you would actually change it around is by making everyone aware of how it works, teaching people the insides and outs. So people understand it enough that they want to hold it accountable, want to run for office and do all those things. The challenge is most most, if not all governments don't have an interest in doing that, because the more you inform people of their agency, the more you remove the power of that institution. And so the only way you can do it is through like a long-term educational process. So what, what we've been doing, um, not just through our government office, we teach people how government works. Like we have a volunteer legislative team. So we bring in neighbors who wanna help draft legislation with us and like teach them how that works. But then also there's an independent political organization in the ward that is working like civics 101 courses and like teaching people how that works. So there isn't a shortcut to it, but I believe that's what's necessary to change the dynamics. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I've been hogging the mic, so I'm going to turn it over to Andy. <laughs> Along that conversation, actually, I'm wondering if, Andre, you think that um, having city council meetings streaming on Zoom now is going to expand accessibility for people and kind of bring more awareness to the local legislative process or if it's if you're not seeing much if you're not seeing much engagement what's really funny is you absolutely are here's this this is a crazy moment we're living in right like right now people are literally stuck at home literally so the fact that we actually can have city council meetings on your computer screen on your laptop on your phone and people have nowhere else to go yeah, we've definitely seen more engagement as far as like viewership, for lack of a better term. Um, and it's also why part of the reason why I drafted legislation to ask for more meetings. Like right now, we only meet once a month and we're talking a crisis. So to ask for two times a month, which is what's already in the municipal code, isn't a crazy ask. But we actually were voted down 26 to 21 to even have a public debate about it. Um, yeah, so... I am very much, I absolutely think that right now where people have nowhere to go and you have city council meetings, same bat time, same bat channel, right? Everyone could be a lot more informed as to how decisions are actually made. And I I, I do think it serves a really greater purpose and I hope that we continue it. 
This is Liberal City. I'm joined today by a special co-host, Annie Metz. We're both interviewing Andre Vasquez, alderman of the 40th Ward of Chicago. So getting in a little bit of the future of public spaces in Chicago and a little bit of what we were talking about before, right? Like you mentioned Chicago, you know, uh, maybe CDOT and, and such has a, an overarching plan for increasing walkability and bikeability and safe spacing, safe space for like the post-COVID-19 world, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, but uh, you know, how how do we expand, say, in your neighborhood, right, in Andersonville, where you have jurisdiction over, how do you, how do you do that? What's your role in that? Yeah, um, I know, like, right now, okay, here's the interesting part, and I'll kind of put it out there as, like, a, a caveat, a disclaimer. <laughs> I never learned how to ride a bike, <laughs> so I am not the best bikeability ambassador, right? But what I, the reason I say that is we're working in, like, Leland having a bike lane, clearly trying to figure out a way to go from west to east to get to the, to, to the river to lakeshore there's nothing there in the ward so we're working to figure out what streets we can do that at um and I, I you know there's also yeah we had just talked about on Lincoln um and western there's like a McDonald's there and there's like a little weird triangle so we've actually been looking at potentially doing more development there adding a bike lane so somebody can go from North Lincoln to South and then like continue on. So uh, on most developments, we think about that. Like what is the future of how people commute? How do you create the best pathways for people to do so? Um, And and it's one of those things where I've never heard, it's very rare for me to hear anyone who's against a bike lane or against trying to create more walkability, right? Most people in general are supportive and they kind of get where it's going so what we look at is how do we best accomplish that? Publicly, it's easy, easier. It's about funding, I know, ultimately. When you're dealing with like a private developer, that's a little more challenging because they have an idea of what they want. You know, that's where the community meetings can actually help in the other direction. Like if, if, the, if the developer or private entity wants to do one thing, but your public is saying, no, 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 we need to hear this then as the elected official, I have to advocate for the neighbors and say, if you want our support in what you're doing, you're going to have to make concessions to be able to meet A, B, and C, right? So so for us, it's looking at what are the opportunities and when we can, can affect change, how do we best get it done, whether it be creating more walkable space or more bikeability. I would love to figure out like pedestrianization of a street in a way that's not you know, where people don't lose their minds about it. That's kind of where I'm trying to figure out right now. Yeah, kind of painting that that vision, right, of what I think people intuitively get when they travel overseas, right, and they experience a place that is so much more, uh, I would just say, like, uh, livable at the street level yeah. than, than on a typical U.S. city, certainly Chicago, right? Well, it, and, it affects everything, right? It affects air quality because everything. you've got less vehicles out there, right? Like, so... I think um, I would hope that a moment like the one we're in under the pandemic would would help people see that, right? Like that's 
uh, obviously nobody's happy to be in this moment, but there are some like silver linings of like, oh, I didn't know that if we did not actively go out there all the time and, and like have these exhaust fumes flowing everywhere that like things would change differently. Or um, so I, I, I hope there's opportunities for that. Yeah, I still remember like the you know early in the shelter at home order, right? Like I was I was downtown in the loop and I could hear birds chirping. I was like, yep. that's incredible. Yeah, we I mean, that, of, we need more of this. I think it was. Uh, I, I think I saw the footage of. I, I want to say Venice, where like you'd be able to see like fish and different wildlife because the water was actually clearer. Yes. Due to lack of activity, right? So it's 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 so you know it's different people that look at it certain ways, but it's almost like you're getting signs of like, look, if you don't do all this stuff, like there's things that improve on their own. It's like the planet's trying to talk to people on certain yes. aspects. Obviously. Because we're in a pandemic, I'm very careful not to just say it in that manner. But I think there's things to learn from from any situation we're in. There is, and there are different ways of doing things, and you can still have a somewhat normal life. Like not all that different from what it is right now. It's just, right. just it's like you just change the orientation that you look at it from, and it can make a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, you know what? What's a shame is that it takes this kind of of global change for people to even look at it and then i always get like i try not to get cynical but sometimes i look at it and i go even something like this might only marginally change the way we do things right like um uh, what's what's concerning me right now is this week there was conversation about reopening already and i i have no idea why that would be a direction we'd want to go in during the summer when people already aren't like paying attention to the stay-at-home order and we saw like in 1918 with the first flu pandemic you know back then that you get this second wave if you if you think that you're okay and so uh i I try to be optimistic and say look here's how we can do we can learn from these things but then when you have like profit-driven motives where people are saying no we've got to open up business and industry and I get why, because some of these businesses need support. Uh, it's just a hard thing when people, they're, they're having this conversation of like, how many lives are you willing to lose because we need to open up businesses? And that's just, like I said, I try to stay optimistic. It's just things like that that are tough. So about a month before the shelter in place, the city council um, declared a climate emergency and is kind of shifting its efforts toward guiding the city toward more uh, environmentally friendly, you know, stances on kinds of things like this. So do you see building more pedestrian spaces like this, making neighborhoods more bikeable, building this like very um, easily navigable bike network, things like this as a good investment for the city, even if it is costly up front, do you think it's something that's worth it or where do you stand on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I do absolutely think that there are things that may appear like large investments, but are actually saving us money over the long term, right? I think there's decisions that can be made that are helpful. Um, what's challenging is, to your point, there was a um, climate emergency resolution. And what a resolution ultimately is, is a proclamation of something. So it doesn't change a lot of law more than like state values. And so in the way the way our city council and our government is set up, the city council doesn't really move legislation more than the executive branch and the mayor does. So the city council could sign off and say, we have a resolution saying this is what we believe. But if the executive branch doesn't 
put the same emphasis on the departments to actually implement things, it's it's kind of just a statement, right? And so um, we don't really have a, a real department of the environment when you think about the city. I actually had uh, my colleague Alderman Lasvada refer to it as a cubicle of the environment. It's like one person. And so uh, that's another reason why I want to make sure people understand how their government works because I think most people want to see that direction or things going in that direction, but they need to be able to know where to where to make sure their voices are heard so they don't just get something that's a resolution that makes you feel good without anything behind it. Um, it, it will require funding to get those things done. I think that'll be challenging because it, ultimately what that means is taxes in a moment where we're going to have a budget that's going to be, I mean, it was going to be a, a north of a billion dollar deficit anyway. Now with COVID, I don't know what that's going to look like. So it's going to have implications on everything. So if if residents of Chicago want to lobby someone or communicate with someone about the need for this Department of the Environment being reinstated and expanded beyond the cubicle and kind of shift the direction of the city toward more climate-friendly action, would they need to get in touch with their alder person? Would getting in touch with the mayor's office be helpful, with CDOT? Who who should they be talking to? Yeah, I think, um, I think absolutely you want to talk to your alder because you want to know where they stand on it, right? Like, you want to know who your champions are of that and who's just kind of like, phoning it in um if they if that's the case or who's against it uh i do think the office of the mayor is where you want to direct a lot of that pressure because it, it would be the most it's the most responsive like if the mayor wants to get something done more often than not it's going to get done because of the dynamics of like who's going to vote with the mayor it's not the rubber stamp that it used to be but it's not the complete opposite yet. It's not a full independent council. So I'd say the mayor is where you'd want to direct it and then talk to your alder to see where they land. How does, how does somebody do that? So say they've never reached out to their alderman before mm-hmm. um, or the mayor, right? Like, is there just an email address that you email or? Yeah. If you go it? to, if you go to like Chicago.gov, right. Which is like the, the city of Chicago.org, I think, or the, the city website, it'll direct you towards where you can put feedback. Um, for us, I'd try to go out of my way. Like I'm on Facebook, Twitter, everything else. And you can go to 40thward.org to, to contact me. Heck, I even give people my phone number. It's 773-999-3313. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, you got, y'all are the bosses, right? You all pay my checks. So why would you not have my number to contact? That's the way I look at it. Um, but, but if anyone's trying to find a way or what they need to do, they can always reach to, out to me and I'm happy to direct them somewhere. Um, yeah. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I've I've, I've wondered that myself, um, you know, because I've I've actually had trouble getting in contact with my own alder person, and you know, it's 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 intimidating, even for somebody as motivated as I am to to get involved and, and try and make some change. If you don't hear back, you're just like, okay, what what's next? <laughs> what I would say in that in that scenario, depending on who your alder is, it, I would look at it as like water on a rock. You just have to be constant because that's what's going to – I'll just speak in my experience. I know who the regulars are. I know who's going to be emailing us. And also, you don't tend to get a lot of emails on one subject. Mm. So the second you get like over 5 to 10, like my radar goes up. And I go, okay, I'm hearing a lot about this issue. What are we going to do to address that? Because if you see it 
from the role that I'm in is something growing, you want to get in there early and say like, okay, where are we at on this thing? So I would say if you yourself reach out, if you organize some of your neighbors to also reach out with the same, you know, focus, it will definitely resonate. Um, and if it doesn't, 2023 is when they run again, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, that's, that's what it's about. Ultimately, it, you know, I'm all about open government and democracy. Not all of my colleagues are. But what every elected official is absolutely about is survival. And that means making sure they're elected time and time again. So that needs to be the pressure point of like, hey, there's all these neighbors that are ask, that are demanding this. And if you're not willing to even move or address it, there are repercussions for that. Um, it's probably not the, like I said, I'm not advocating to go and like target alders, but that is the job, right? If you want to reach out to us, it's our job to be responsive. Yeah, so so you would say it's a little bit less of like, you know, trying to craft that perfect one-time email, the right words, you know, to capture your attention. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe it does a little bit, but it's more like consistency and, you know, um, banding together to see if there are other people that feel the same way as you do, and letting your 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 older person know that. Yeah, it's it's definitely about organization, right? Like I think uh, uh, once again, because we're not as a society taught about how it works, you watch a movie and like somebody's writing this passionate letter and there's music in the background and like, this is going to change society. When in reality, it's just like send an email and keep letting us know and make sure you're organizing your neighbors to, to, to do the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about, how about Twitter and stuff like that? Is that, I, I mean, I know you're on there a lot, but how influential is that versus email or it doesn't really matter. I would say email or phone call for me. Yep. And, for, and even my team looks at me like I'm crazy for it. I'm all <laughs> over all of it because uh, there's a lot of people that aren't even going to know how to find your email. But if they're going to hit you up on social media, I'll, I'll read it. And I'll, most of the time, I'll respond directly or I'll, I will show them the email because what we really want to do is document whenever somebody has an issue so we can track it as we're addressing it and let people know what we're doing. Oh, that's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Andre, if after this interview is over, you receive a ton of emails from neighborhood moms in support of this Catalpa project, it's because I'm about to go into the neighborhood moms group and tell people to email you. <laughs> go squad. I'm all for it. Do it. It's going to happen. <laughs> yep. I'm with that because, all like, right. yeah, it's, it's that important for sure. It is. It is. And, you know, as people with children in the neighborhood, it's nice to have those open spaces that they can run safely. Yeah. And well, do and we're, thing. And we're like, we're definitely going to need more of that because of COVID. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. A lot more. You need more spaces. You need to be able to, to almost set the guideline of what social distancing looks like by how you lay out everything. Yeah. You're going to need, you're going to need the city to, to, to do that. Yeah. I think about that a lot. So, you know, like I live in river North and when I walk on state street, say through like the gold coast or something, I mean, in normal times, I hate walking on that sidewalk because it's far too narrow, but Especially now, you're like, I've got six feet of sidewalk on either side, and I'm very wide street, heavily underutilized at the moment, and you just can't help but feel like, wow, that's really, the priorities are backwards here. Yeah, no, I, I like, I think once once we started learning about social distancing, I picture Michael Jordan's height. Like, that's how far away you need to be from me, for I me to it. feel comfortable, and that's not really possible on the sidewalks that we have, right? Like you should get a lot of people that are walking into the street 
just to make room, which could be dangerous depending on where the streets we're talking about. So I, I think we really have to look at all of that differently. Yeah. So paint that picture. How, how are you thinking about that in your ward? So how do we, how do we start changing that in, you know, the 40th ward? And then, you know, I think that would, that would be applicable to the rest of Chicago and probably a lot of other U.S. cities and cities around the world. So how do you think about that? So I think that's that's probably what's, what's a little challenging. Like on my level, because we're talking about just one ward, what I kind of wrap my head around is what does it look like for, to have neighbors support it, right? You almost want to treat it the way they do permit parking, where if 65% of a block says, hey, this is what we want to do, then we can look at so like what's it look like to completely close it off or or anything else. Uh, the hard part is, and and I I hope this I think it will change. I don't think we're there yet, but we got to keep pushing on it. Is that parking is the thing that people look at as such a uh, commodity that any development people are like, oh, there's something moving in here. How many parking spots does it have? Because it's going to take away from our parking. Um, that's probably the biggest challenge. It's not that you know from 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 my standpoint as the alder, right? It's that I know that neighbors really fight to defend their parking more than anything. Where you would actually get that change would be from an executive branch. Because the executive branch goes, hey, we're going to do a whole network from the north to the south side. This is the project. Let's do the announcement and the PR presser and keep it moving. Um, so for me, what I keep trying to do is go back to, to CDOT and say, hey, now that we're looking at what the new normal looks like, what does it mean? Like, you know, we thought somebody from Andersonville reached out because they want to do a farmer's market on that same Catalpa area. So I started emailing out and said, I'm in support of that. If they're doing it where you can order on an app, you can do come, uh, come do curbside pickup and go like, let's figure it out. And the answer I got back was, oh, we're going to have a plan for that coming up. We'll let you know. And that's to me. I mean, you know, anybody that's working in office space knows that that's not the best answer to get. So for it's it's every time that I hear something from a neighbor about that, I keep directing it because the exact same way I want to organize that voice of the neighbors and that pressure to move it. That makes sense. Yeah. What's the role in your mind in doing experimentation? So, you know, some call it like tactical urbanism where you say, you're just going to use some cones, right? And we're going to try like closing off the street and see like how the neighborhood handles it. Uh, I, I think there is a role. But I think sometimes you got to go further than the cones, right? I don't know if that's the answer, right? Like, I think if you do the cones, people will go, oh, okay, I, this is a nuisance if they don't like it, but they imagine it'll be gone anyway, right? And so there's there's a level of permanence that needs to be out there. So I, I do think it is more about a, a real deliberate approach to say, hey, we're going to be doing this over the next year or the next two years. And, and the same way as with the Catalpa process, Come on in, tell me all the things that you don't like about it, and let's figure out a way to balance those things out so that we do have something that moves us in the direction that we should be as a society, but we're not doing it in such a manner where you feel completely disrespected and disrupted by what we're doing. Um, it's it's a tough thing to navigate, but I think if you if you try to like, it's very challenging to try to do this in an incremental manner. Like you can't, there's no temporary sidewalk, right? It's like no, we're we're doing it. Um, it's about being communicative enough that people have, you know, trust in what you're doing. 
with with the Catalpa project, right, it, it's taking on a whole new meaning as we've discussed already a little bit um, with coronavirus um, and the need for more space. You know, and I'm wondering, I'm thinking in my mind, if there's a role for like, let's have almost like a like a town hall for Andersonville um, kind of thing and talk about what, like more holistically, even outside of this project, how, what, what, where do we need more space? How do we do it? Well, how are we thinking about it as a community? You know, and it's like, then it's almost like you could get um, a community vision, a coherent one together, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that what I've seen, because we have people reach out to us, is Andersonville, period, being pedestrianized is what I've heard a lot of, you know, from people who are like the advocates for it. Um, it would be less challenging to have that conversation if Andersonville wasn't on the border, right? Because in order for Andersonville to be one of those streets where you look at, you've got three alders that are there, right? It's myself, uh, Alderman, Osterman, Alderman, Martin. And so that becomes a bit trickier because you don't know how the constituents for each ward feel, how each alder feels, right? All those things are dynamics that are more challenging. But I'll speak for myself. If it was a place in the ward where people wanted to see that, I think it's not that tough of a process, right? I think we do the same community process, bring neighbors. And because it's just our office, we'd have a little bit more latitude to move forward. Um, so if people see anything in the 40th that they're interested in kind of like moving in that direction, like that's that's a conversation I'm always willing to have. That's really interesting. And I was thinking even if if it's something that affects the wards that, that border the 40th, right? Like maybe that's the role of, you know, the citizen, the, the advocate who's really interested, right? Cause they could, like, they don't necessarily apply or are restricted by those borders. Mm-hmm. So maybe they could uh, initiate the conversations across those borders and essentially bring the, the alders together for like a, a more comprehensive vision. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 like I literally this week, somebody sent an email about Andersonville and potentially closing streets or other opportunities. And so that's why I, I was thinking of reaching out to to Alderman Osterman and Alderman Martin to say, hey, like, I don't know about you all, but I'm open to it. So uh, part of it is that it's just having those initial conversations. And it's also like, to be honest, like right now, it's it's the bandwidth of each of us to be able to take that on when there's so many other things as well. Right. Like housing is an issue, rent, mortgage, uh, safety. So I, I think that's what I've been trying to be really mindful of, of like finding the opportunities to have a conversation about this where it doesn't seem like I'm only about this and ignoring the other things. Because if people don't agree with you, they'll find a way to pigeonhole you. Oh, 100 percent. Yep. And, you know, as listeners on this podcast know, livability there's a, there's a large portion that has to do with the street, of course, uh, in a neighborhood, but it's it's complex and multifaceted, right? There's a lot of things that that make up livability. Oh yeah, and especially like you know, in trying to support our business districts, you kind of you promote more walkability when you create those kind of areas. So uh, I think there's a role to to, to play in all of it. Uh, it's just really it, it's understanding the other quote-unquote major players and like what they feel about the thing as you're moving forward right absolutely and that's that's some of the messiness of you know 
even just outside of Chicago, right, the United States, we've got we've got a system of a lot of players and getting stuff done, particularly with a, a coherent vision. Um, everybody kind of marching in line is can be difficult. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I, I do think a little bit to your point of like, because a lot of the questioning you had, I think is I think is right. It's being able to create a ward that's like a microcosm of what you can do across the city. And if you're like the first one and people are like, oh, that's cool, then you can have influence on other folks of like, oh, okay, they tried it. Nobody lost their minds. It looks kind of cool. I'm willing to give it a shot here. So some of it is that. Like, if, if you're an alder, you've got opportunities as they present themselves to like be the pioneers and what that could look like. Absolutely. And then you, you attract people, right? I know, like, I already love Andersonville, like the main one of the main streets on Clark, right, yep. areas. Um, I go there and I'm just like, this is amazing. I, I love it here. And and if if this were, you know, if the traffic lanes were much smaller or, you know, a stretch of it was pedestrianized, like how groundbreaking would that be right. for the city of Chicago? Yeah, I, I think so too. I think especially when we're looking at because of the budget hit we're going to have, we're going to have to find a lot of different ways to attract people from across the world to come check Chicago out and really being able to be like the flag uh, bearer for all this creates opportunity for economic development. If you know how to market it and brand it and say, look at what Chicago is doing, come see the future. Right. I think that's what you can do. Right. Like, like Barcelona super like you brought up before now all yeah. of a sudden the whole world I mean, not everybody, obviously, but if you're into this kind of thing, knows Barcelona is doing something incredible, right? And yeah, like, I, like I, you know, I'm, to be completely honest, I'm not, like, a big, like, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't my lane, so to yeah. speak, right? Uh, to, to use traffic terms. Um, <laughs> but when I saw it, right, when I saw the concept, because the video I saw showed how it was, how the blocks were created, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, I would, I would love to go check it out because I'm, I'm used to being or I've been in other countries where you've got markets and squares that part of being able to walk through that is the experience. And so when I saw what that was like, I was like, that'd be really cool if there was somewhere here we could do something like that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the parts where they're doing that in Barcelona right now are already very well gridded, you know, just like Chicago, just like a city like Chicago, which is like, and it's just, it's just a matter of organization and will. Yeah. Right. To get it done, I, I, the same thing is literally possible here. Yeah, and just doing like doing like the test model, right? Like here, we're gonna do it here. Yep. Hey, look, the, the sky didn't fall. I think that's that's the thing is everyone. I wish you'd see more creativity and openness into like taking those kind of risks, right? Like it's a lot of real conservative thinking that impedes that from moving forward. Absolutely. But I think you know you talked on you touched on um, the budget a little bit, right? And that's one of the downsides for pr- the whole world, pretty much after this crisis, right? Like budgets yeah. are going to take a hit. But if you if you basically like right, you look at the assets that we currently have to maintain or that we currently are, right? And streets are expensive, yeah. Right. So if you like reduced the width of some of the streets, theoretically, aren't you like making back some budget? I mean, you're definitely potentially saving it, right? Because the less street you have, the less wear and tear it goes through. And, and uh, you know, sometimes just repaving and the infrastructure for those 
are what kind of burn through budgets. So I, I think I think you're right. If like let's say if instead of repairing asphalt, you were only repairing sidewalks, like there's savings in that. Um, so it, it is really about taking a look at it. Yeah, and I know I've seen the stats for Chicago. I think it was around like 2015. I think a your average, uh, not a super wide street in Chicago, just a mile of it costs around a million dollars to resurface. Like we have a, a menu budget, which is a 1.3 million every year. And for us to do green alleys, right? One block of a green alley is 250,000 bucks. That means I can only afford, the, or the ward office can only afford to do five of them before your whole budget's wiped out. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sizable ward. We're talking from Clark to Kedzie, from Lawrence to Devon. Five blocks, that's it, right? Yeah. So, so it, it, I, I do agree with you that there's, there's probably other ways to find savings by not having as much street out there. Yeah, we just have to have the courage to rethink things, right? Not, not just go with the same assumptions again and again. Right. I'm curious about the new CDOT commissioner, Gia Biagi, I think is how you pronounce her name. Yep. And I know that she has a history of working with community organizations and on kind of forward-thinking projects. So I'd like to know, if you haven't talked about this yet, kind of what sort of power she holds in shaping policy for CDOT and where, like, what the hierarchy is with her and the mayor's office and how, how they work together to shape these decisions. Yeah. Totally. So, uh, Commissioner Biagi, um, we actually voted to appoint her a couple months back. So, I I was part of the committee that had the hearing when she uh, was being appointed, and that's really what stood out to me. Like, um, Deputy Commissioner uh, Carney, who had been there, acting commissioner prior, uh, also did an amazing job. But there was there was something about Commissioner Biagi's really perspective on. Uh, social justice in thinking about transportation that spoke to me, right? Because the perspective of how you how you really view these problems says a lot about how you're going to solve them. And so the way the hierarchy works, it's like the mayor, then you've got the, the, the department commissioner, then the deputy commissioner, and so on. Um, most of the time, if not all of the time, the department's not operating in anything the mayor wouldn't want to do, right? Like that's the boss and that's their job. Um, but I think there is, because of the multitude of issues that every department heads up, it's not like any one person is going to watch every single thing and have to sign off on everything. It'll actually slow a government even more. So I imagine that the commissioner is able to look at all the different things that come to her desk and find different ways of solving them. And I think that's part of what, really excited me about the hearing is hearing her talk about transportation deserts like on other sides of town and really how transportation can exacerbate the inequalities we have or help like address them. Um, it was really cool and inspiring to hear that from someone. So I look forward to kind of seeing where that takes us. Yeah. I, what I was thinking as you were talking is, you know, mentioned before, right? Like the how much uh, neighbors fight over parking spaces, right? When when something goes in, but if you've got a system where you're ever increasing transportation choices that don't just have to be a car, then all of a sudden, like how important parking spaces are uh, reduces, right? That's right. 
It's the more you're able to offer and make it convenient for people to get to where they need to go publicly, the less need they have for a car. And and there's different ways to solve problems then, because then you don't have the parking issues. Yeah. What's the best way to get in, in touch with CDOT? Do you know? Uh, I don't have like the email off top, but I know it's on the same website. Um, what we could do it, to hold me accountable, because that's how I roll, is if you email me those questions, we can send you all the contacts for all of them. So that way you can have them to have reference links with provided. The yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I know Jim and I both follow like bike Twitter, local bike Twitter, and people have been frustrated that CDOT is like completely unresponsive on social media. But I know some organizations, you know, are really active on social media and others aren't. So I think it would be good information to give. Yeah, people. definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think it might be something as simple as like gia.biagi at cityofchicago.org. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there is a standard format, yeah. Yeah. I just sent her an invite on LinkedIn, so we'll see if she uh, accepts me. Nice. Ah, <laughs> mine, actually. Nice. Really <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so hot off the press. <laughs> so as we're wrapping up the conversation, can you, Andre, give us a brief summary of if someone's listening and they want to bring something like this to their ward, what they can do, what the best steps are to take to get the ball rolling? Depending on where you're at, you can either talk to your block club or your neighborhood association to get more people on board, right? Like talking through these ideas and having numbers that can speak to their elected official, like have effect and and, and it matters. Uh, The other would be talking directly to your alder and reaching out via email or any other means to say, hey, I see they're doing something like this. Where could we do that in the ward? Or if you have an idea where, then you kind of start moving in that direction. Um, that would be the first two places to go. And if, let's say, people don't know where to kind of start looking that all up, they can always come to 40thward.org. That's uh, 40thward.org. And just reach out to us. We're more than happy to point you in a direction. That's great. No, I'm, and I'm sure stuff like that is very applicable for other cities, too. So yeah. that's awesome for the listeners. So thank you. Yeah. And then this is intentionally very open-ended, but you know, as we wrap up this conversation, any final thoughts you want to leave with our listeners? Yes. I will at some point learn how to ride a bike. That is official. <laughs> uh, I actually talked to Alderman Osterman, and it was going to happen this summer. And he's, he's still been advocating for it because I was going to talk to the bike ambassadors to do that. But um, I actually, as funny as that is, I want to make sure I learn before my kids do because that's just crazy. <laughs> Um, also I do think it would actually help my perspective out on like other opportunities when I hear about, you know, bikeability. So I know, I don't know if that sounds weird, but that's definitely something that's, that's really been on my mind of like, okay, I need to knock this out, but also it's going to help inform me when we talk about that, because there are opportunities to, to have those discussions in the ward. Once you learn, you have an open invitation to the uh, Kittical Mass Rides in Lincoln Square. Once they start up again, <laughs> you and your family uh, yeah, should definitely yeah. show up and see what streets can be like when they're taken over by bikes. Totally. Oh, yeah. Also, I would say because of the timing we're in, I would definitely, um, you know, just this week they kind of mentioned the plan to potentially reopen the city. I firmly believe it's premature, and I would I would advocate for anybody in the city that feel the same way to reach out to the mayor, to reach out to their alder, because I do get the pressure of wanting to open things up. But this summer, if we're all just, it's challenging enough 
to get people to practice social distancing when there's a stay order in place. If that's not happening in the summer and people are just out there again, I I think it's uh, all the work we've done to flatten the curve, I think would be lost. And so that's something that that's been at the front of mind ever since the announcement that I would ask people to, to make the calls to make sure they're heard about that. Yeah, that's a great public service announcement there. Andre, where can uh, where can people follow you and your work online? Yeah, so uh, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, Andre for 40th. That's A-N-D-R-E-F-O-R-4-0-T-H. It's the same um, at for all of those you can reach. You can check me out on the website. Or, yeah, you can totally text messages better. Uh, 773-999-3313. I'm typically in meetings, but I'm able to check text messages at the end of the day and kind of like help people out as best I can. I'm still blown away by that transparency. It's it's amazing to see. It keeps me in check. That's that's how we all should be, I think. But you know, I think it's it's really awesome. So, Annie, uh, my co-host for today. Thank you so much for doing it. Um, where can people follow your work online? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so my podcast is on Twitter and Instagram at HowSwarmingPod. Um, I'm personally on Twitter and Instagram as well as Hey and Jeanette. That's A-N-N-E-J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E. Mostly on Twitter, I'm talking about parenting and biking. <laughs> so if people are interested in that, I'm happy happy to talk about it all day long. I just want to say thank you so much to both of you for joining me. Andre, thank you for, for taking time out of, I'm sure, your very busy schedule right now. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for that. I actually was handing out masks at, uh, we did a whole mask drive through so this is a cool oh, wow. break after, so I thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. It's been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for listening today. And if you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Please use today's episode as inspiration to you to get involved where you live get connected with your leader and make some change around livability where you live happen. And as I leave you on this episode, remember first to listen, learn, and then lead. Thanks, everybody.